Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome to another GeoMob podcast. This morning, it's a great pleasure to talk to a very old friend of mine, Blair Freeband. Um, I've known Blair for, I don't know, 15 years nearly now. Um, We worked together for a while. Uh, then we both left the company that we worked for, MapInfo, which may come up in our conversation. And Blair set out to start a business called Geolytics. Um, it's a business, he says, we help organizations to make better decisions about where to locate things and people. We build data models and software. Um, they've now grown from a one-man business to a 40-man business, um, with offices in several countries and working for some of the largest companies in the world. So it's a real pleasure, Blair, to have you on the podcast this morning talking to us. Welcome to the podcast. Introduce yourselves and tell, tell us a little bit about what Geolytics does. Uh, thank you, Stephen. It, it, the pleasure is all mine. Um, uh, so so Geolytics... Um, yeah, we tell people where to put things at its simplest, and that's usually shops, um, but it is um, also um, restaurants, gyms, banks, any any post offices, terminals, uh, and in the sort of modern online world, it, it, it'll also be fulfillment centres and distribution centres and um, how you... Uh, how you get stuff to people rather than how you get people to come to you, which is the old way of doing retail. Um, so that's what Geolytics does. Uh, we've kind of got three or four main teams, data scientists, modelers, which is what I am by 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 background. I, I am a modeler. I still build models. Um, and then we also have data engineers and we have software engineers because we build our own software. And we have subject matter experts, so people who really, really know about retail. And uh, that's what we do, as you say, uh, for primarily very, very large retailers because um, they have more money and they make more decisions. So they have more need of people like us. So, yeah, that's, that's what we do. 40 of us now, which is a bit scary. Very scary, particularly when there was only one of you to start with. Yeah, yeah, yeah people who do this yeah yeah what's what's the special source um so that is a really 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 good question and it's also a really really um difficult question because if 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 i answer you honestly um it will sound slightly arrogant which is simply that we are the best in the world at doing it Uh, we employ uh the best or we, you know, every company says this, every company says this, but we, we genuinely do um, employ really, really good people. Um, that, that's what makes, that's what makes it right. A, any business is its people. And um, uh, because we have a sort of relentless focus on being as good as we can be, uh, that, that keeps our customers happy, but you're right. It's a competitive market. There's, there's plenty of other consultancies and, GIS people out there. I, the one thing I would say that is a particular 
sort of structural strengths we have is this is all we do. This is our niche. Whereas a lot of our competitors doing this is part of a much bigger enterprise. So you're either a big, massive GIS company, or you might be a big, massive global consultancy, or you might be a very big real estate brokerage firm. And uh, location planning is kind of this little bolt-on. So it doesn't get the love and attention uh, that we can lavish on it because this is all we do. You know, right? that's it, right? Okay, but you said something that you mentioned GIS companies, GIS companies. And, of course, there is geospatial in this, but I'm guessing there's a lot more than just geospatial involved in this sort of location planning. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is, it is fundamentally a spatial problem. So, so it is, it is geospatial, but, you know, the, the technology actually isn't kind of the critical secret piece. I, I, I kind of think it, if, if someone tells you software is the answer to one of your business problems, they're <laughs> trying to sell you software. Software really isn't going to solve these problems for you. Um, and location planning is is part of the wider retail strategy. So you have to understand the business. You have to really know what you know what the retail P and L looks like, how uh, how a store P and L is made up, what what the key things are, um, what the retail is trying to achieve, and, and and location strategy is kind of an expression of the of the of the broader strategy, the big strategy that the retailer is pursuing. So, so take someone like Lego, who is fantastic business, um, and, and they made a strategic decision that they wanted um, a, a bigger direct to consumer market. So they wanted to own the whole sub, the whole chain from customer to manufacturing, <coughs> which then drives them into right. Okay, we need to have Lego stores, and once they've decided that, and 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 they have you know the mission to serve the world's children although there's adult fans as well, obviously. Um, And that then drives the retail strategy. So you have to understand how all of that works together. And and then in terms of the the modeling, obviously there is a lot of geospatial in there, but but it's also hugely data-driven. So um, it's, um, uh, I I kind of view what we do, um, there's a bigger sort of mega trend going on, which is, um, I, I quite like the phrase, it, it's uh, data-driven decisions in the physical world. And there's lots and lots of businesses trying to help biz- companies do that because online has always been data-driven. Right. In, in the physical world, you see all sorts of people now with you know mobility data and banking data and, um, and trading data. So this, this idea of data-driven decisions in the physical world is kind of the the big picture sector we work in okay so so it is it, it's as much to be honest it's more about the data than the software that's a perfect point in our conversation blair to segue into the subject of open data isn't it yeah, uh, yeah. so just for our audience um i think about 11 12 years ago um you and i were sitting drinking coffee and talking about how you could build a 
successful business on the back of open data. It was at the time that um, the UK was just starting to release a lot of open data and there was open geographic data and various demographic data becoming available. Um, and the question was, if everybody could get their hands on this, how was there a business to be made out of it? And you at Ge Geolytics have been massive mm. advocates for open data and you've put your money where your mouth is. Um, so why do you... How do you use open data in your business and why do you make more open, more data open through your business? Yeah. So, yeah, open data... I don't actually think geolytics would exist if it hadn't been for the open data movement, because it, I think back to the decision to set geolytics up, that wave of open data that came <laughs> out from, you know, the famous meeting of Tim Berners-Lee and Gordon Brown, that is what prompted me to set geolytics up, because <laughs> prior to that, and th these young whippersnappers won't remember this, but th there wasn't open data like just the census, just to have the UK census data cost you £200,000 a year. It was 100000 a year for the data and 100000 a year for the boundaries. Uh, and what that did was it led to a, a very closed shop. There was this huge barrier to entry that you couldn't play unless you could afford to, to, to license expensive data sets. And what I saw open data doing uh, as really opening it up and changing the focus from, well, I've got lots of money so I can buy data and do things into, well, the data's free. What's really important is how do I use it? What models can I build with it? How can I manipulate the data? How can I combine the data? How can I create new things out of all of these different open data sets? Um, and it was that um, removal of the barrier and the, you know, just fill your boots. You know, here's the data, go and, go and build something, do something interesting with it. Uh, and that's, it's a global phenomenon, right? You know, UK is, was genuinely a leader. I, I, I sometimes worry we've slightly lost our way in the UK on open data. Some of the momentum's gone out of it, I think. Um, but around the world, you know, it, it, you know, the, the days of not being able to to access, you know, the core data sets, they're just gone, right? You, you can, you know, the address register in France, the uh, right. the business the business register in Korea, it, it's open. China's a bit of an exception. There always is a slight sort of one-off case, but that that just lets us do things that right. simply have been impossible. You've gone beyond data. that because you make. You create data sets yourselves, don't you? Um, retail points, um, yeah. retail cat catchment areas and things. Yeah, yeah. 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 And w when I say that so some of the momentum has maybe come out of open data, and, and I think that's that was certainly my hope, was that more and more businesses would publish open data themselves. So it would shift from being a government-led a government -led thing to it being a business-led thing where businesses saw the sense in publishing open data. And we do, we, we release, uh, we release all, all the UK grocers, all their points, we release all the banks, we've released a subset of uh, 
retail places, which is geofences of retail, the, the, the census data pack we create, we, we release as open data. And we'll, you know, for the 2021 round of censuses, we'll do the same in, in many, many countries. Um, because I think it's important that we give back to the open uh, to the open data world. And there's also, I mean, it's not entirely altruistic, you know, you know, I'm running a business. Um, and it, 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 it's, um, there's a fine balancing line we have, because we do charge for some data, we license data and people pay, you know, pay, pay, and they get access to it. Um, but th there's a fine line where there's a data, we might build a data set that we think is quite useful, or very useful. But we don't think we could charge that much for it and so we then think well you know we could maybe you know really knock ourselves out and try and sell 50 copies of this data at a thousand pounds a year license or whatever and then we weigh against that well you know what let's just let's just make it open and we get a reputational benefit everyone gets to know our name um and we are doing something that we feel good about as a business. You know, we, we like, you know, it, it makes the team happy. You know, when, you know, we see our data, you know, used by academics and in, in published in papers, uh, the government used the super, our open supermarket data is used by the CMA for all the competition tests. That, that kind of makes us feel good. Right. That, you know, our data is being used by legislators. So you're not releasing a thin down product you're releasing the full product the and thing. just say we're doing this because we want to put something back and we're doing this because makes it's easy to, it, it makes you feel good that's a great that's a great reason to be doing it. doesn't it help your competitors i, I know <laughs> it, it does i remember when we released one of the very, very first things we released was open uh, open census packs so what happens is the government publish all the census data is open data, but it's um, it's really hard to get your head around. It comes in Massively. thousands and thousands of tables and metadata and blah, blah, blah. So we create a sort of a consolidated single pack that we then released as open data. And uh, one of our competitors, I won't name them, just took our pack. And I know it's our pack because there's there's a seed in it. They just took our pack and sold it. <laughs> I was like, hang on a minute, that's a bit yeah. cheeky. But <laughs> yeah, good luck to them, yeah. right? You know, it, 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 that's not where we compete. We compete on, um, you know, you know what we can build better models with the data. Right. We, we can do better things with it than you can. Fair enough. And what about um, on the open track? What about open source? Um, when you first started out, I remember sitting with you and you were talking to because we both came from map info yeah. so we were we were we came out of a proprietary gis software business and a very good one at yeah, that yeah. and we came, you know and we were all using oracle at the time yeah. you know because yeah. map info had a close relationship with oracle um and you said to me <clears throat> i can do all of this with qgis and postgis yeah um and i remember that and looking at you and thinking you sure um yeah how did that go? Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, we, I, I use QGIS pretty much every day. Um, it, it is, I, I still do use MapInfo. Um, we're partners, of <gasps> and I still do use MapInfo Pro. I, version seven is my favorite. 
it's, it's, I, 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 the team teased me about it that the version of Mapoofa I've got running is older than our youngest employee. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a 20-year-old version of Mapoofo Pro that I still like using. Um, but open source has come on, uh, you know, huge, huge amount. QGIS is now a really, really rich functional desktop mapping tool. You know, I, I struggle to think of anything. I, I use MapInfo Pro just because I'm used to using it. Um, it's just familiarity. But there's pretty much nothing you can't do in Q. And, and then PostGIS, Postgres, that combination has just got so strong. It's, yeah. It, it's, it, 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 well, you know, I stand to be corrected, but I, I can't think, I think if, if I was building, if I was client side building an enterprise, uh, an enterprise, uh, enterprise spatial data lake or database, it's like a no brainer, just Postgres PostGIS. It's, you know, why, why, why would you, why would you, why would you use, um, why would you use anything else? I absolutely agree. I agree. But then I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a convert like you. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to um, retail. And you said something to me which um, I found really interesting because, as you said it, I went, "Oh yes." Um, you talked about the fact that online has shifted the location conundrum because you've still got to get you know if you're amazon or any of the other big e-retailers you still have to get the goods to the customer yeah. right so there's still a location problem about where do we put our distribution centers where do we put our hubs and all of this sort of thing yeah um so just we've just gone through two years of lockdown mm-hmm. um hopefully um, by the time this podcast actually is published, we may be out of lockdown yeah. and uh, you know, most of the restrictions will have gone. But you know, UK retail landscape must have changed dramatically over these couple of years. Um, from all mm. of your interactions, what changes have there been in these couple of years? Um, so um, some things haven't changed at all. Some things are fundamental and, and will remain. Uh, some things have have changed, and some things are changing back. So you mentioned online, and so so through the last two years, there was this huge spike driven by closing shops. You know, mandated you kind of had to go online. Uh, so there was this big spike in online, but that that's now unwinding. So online as a as a proportion of of grocery and uh, comparison goods is pretty much back to trend growth. So it was going up, there was then a big spike, and now it's come back, and it's now back on trend growth. And that, you know, there's an open question as to when that tops out, Um, you know, how much retail can actually get online. And the, you know, probably the biggest challenge has been the spatial patterning of the disruption to work, because Again, it varies from sector to sector, but just as a rough rule of thumb, one pound in every five spent in retail was spent from the workplace. And because workplaces are much more spatially concentrated than residential, so you think there's a city where everyone sleeps here, but they only work in a little piece right in the centre. Right. 
So the spatial patterning of the change in work patterns is probably the biggest change that retailers are wrestling with. Um, but the other thing um, is certainly in the interactions with all of our customers, um, retail's in a good place. You know, it's, it's, they're, they're confident. They've, they've, you know, lockdown one, everyone froze. I'm like, oh, crikey, what's going to happen? Lockdown, you know, the, the sort of long grind of 2021. But you know what? They're, they're all still, you know, a few businesses went bust, but they were going to go bust anyway. Um, so they're in a decent place. And, and you know what? A lot of them actually made a lot of money last year. You know, they had rates relief. They had the VAT cut in hospitality. They had grants. They had furlough monies, blah, 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 blah. A lot of a lot of them they don't you know they, they made a lot of money and they're right. in a good place and so now they're okay you know people are back in expansion mode that they're, they're thinking about uh you know uh, total retail so online offline showrooming halos um they're thinking about um you know city center maybe we need to rethink a little bit about how we serve those customers but if people are working from home a lot more, what does you know? How how does that change our proposition? Um, and, and hospitality, hospitality is one that, um, you know, yeah, you know, the pubs had to shut for a bit, but fundamentally, people are social. We, we, we want to absolutely. To, we want to go to restaurants and pubs, and yeah. that 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 hasn't changed in five thousand years. It's not going to change because of a pandemic. No, and. Um... You know, all the signs are that uh, that hospitality, restaurants, bars uh, are really sort of gearing up and, you know, it's going to take off again because, yeah, as you said, 20s. people want to go there. Yeah, but also, um, you know, I think it's interesting. Um, the, the delivery, the whole food delivery thing um, has gone through a transformation, and I don't know whether it happened because of lockdown but um the the arrival of the dark kitchens yeah um you know is sort of transforming um food service at home mm-hmm. you know yeah, i mean yeah. previously you know your deliveries or your ubers were primarily delivering uh, from local independent restaurants you know it was your Mm. your Indian restaurant, your, your, a lot of ethnic food, a lot of local restaurants were using Uber or Deliveroo to get food to the, yeah. to the local community. Um, yeah, and that, that changed. That's changed because with these dark kitchens, you know, they're putting dark kitchens in place and you're getting sort of major brands right the way through the spectrum of sort of price points um, setting up in these dark kitchens um, and able to deliver um, restaurant quality food uh, to people's homes within 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And, and th- that you, you just said it within 10 minutes. It's, just, it's yeah. a spatial problem, right? Yeah. Food, eat, food is fascinating in that it has to get to you hot. Yes. Um, and, and so there is this magic. Um, the, the pizza guys, I think, use 12 minutes as their cutoff, and, and then, uh, you know, Uber Eats, Deliveroo, Just Eat, etc. Uh, and again, it's just a fascinating business problem because, uh, and it's a spatial problem, right? Yeah. You, you've got 
you've got where the food's been cooked, you've got the customer, and then you've got this third party, which is the delivery driver. And and they obviously, are, there's something going on at the moment where they change the pricing where, because the delivery driver wants to do as short a journey as possible. You know, so they'll, um, you know, all fight over those super close ones. And the delivery and the, the charging, again, it, it's a spatial problem. You know, you yeah. look at the delivery charging, it's the same with supermarkets. When you go on a, a supermarket um, and try and get your slot, that slot is driven by where you are. Um, and, and you will get totally different slot availability than someone five miles down the road. And it's, it's worked out live and dynamic because they, they, yeah. they've got all of the slots. They know they've got a 16 or a 24 van operation in this place. They know when the slots go and the pricing's dynamic. So what you pay for the slot changes. So that, it's a spatial problem. Um, yeah. So, yeah, people like us, some people sometimes challenge me and say, oh, your business is going to struggle with online. No, it's not. We, we just have mm. to solve different problems. Quite right. Yeah, that's a good point. So, you know, I love to talk business and you and I always end up talking business when we get yeah. together. And, um, yeah, I've followed the phenomenal growth of geolytics right since the beginning. You know, I was there before your partner was there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember. I can't uh, remember where it was, but I remember having coffee I think with it, you somewhere. I think it was Victoria Street. We had a... Yes. Um, had an office in Victoria Street in those days, and you came to visit me there, and we got coffee, and we sat for a couple of hours chatting. Yeah. Um, so the growth's been amazing. Um, and... What do you put that growth down to? Um, yeah, the team, the people. You know, CEOs, um, I as a CEO really only have two jobs. Well, I have multiple jobs, but I only have two really important jobs. One is to set the direction of travel of the company, figure out why we exist, what we do, what we're about, you know, why, why geolytics. And the other thing is to recruit um, and and keep engaged the best team I possibly can, and then just get out the way and let them do their stuff. That that's that's my job. So it it it, it is a testament to all of my colleagues. And um, yeah, in ten years, there's now forty of us. And um, over those ten years, I think there's four people have moved on in ten wow. years. Wow. And, and that, that was because they moved, right? One right. had to go back to Germany because his girlfriend wanted to, one moved back to Australia because she wanted to be nearer her, her, her mum and dad in New Zealand. So, um, you know, the fact that we've been able to keep that, that same group of people together and get into a cadence, you know, business is about, um, it's a cadence, it's a momentum thing. You just do good things, do another good thing, keep doing good things, and you just get into a rhythm of being good and that's really hard. I, I don't know how people do it in companies with high churn. I just don't know how you do it. No, you're absolutely right. And it's, you know, it's a virtuous circle. And if once you get into it, you just keep doing it and it works. So it's not easy for small businesses to expand. It's even more difficult to expand internationally and set up an office overseas and build a business overseas. Um, and you've done that. You've done that in China, even, you know, yeah. which uh, must have been really challenging. How did you do that? 
again, it, lots and lots of small steps. You, you know, the, the idea of sort of moonshots and big, massive plans and, oh, we're going to recruit 20 people and open an office in Spain. Uh, that's kind of not the way we did it. We did it with uh, lots of small steps. And again, the, the key to it was, uh, was, was getting the right people. So our overseas offices are, uh, uh, they're sort of one, two person operations. They're not, you know, the, the core of the business is UK, um, but we have people out in, in China, Japan, Australia, Poland. Um, and it was keeping it nimble. And also, and, and this goes all the way back to when I set Geolytics up, it was, um, and this is my one piece of advice I'll, I'll give anyone who's thinking of starting a business is, is, is get customers early. If you can get a paying customer in China, then okay, I can now, I can now justify the expense and I can put someone in there. Um, but yeah, you know, kind of get, get the money first has always been our thing. And, and the other thing on the people, we, we did recruit um, three or four people uh, from a competitor who, uh, who had the networks, knew the customers, were embedded in, in the retail cultures of those countries. Because all our business is, is, is our, our sales is all network-based. It's all right. people who know people talk to us. And so getting those people with the networks was, was the critical piece. Okay. Seems to have worked for you. Shame about the competitor, but who cares? Yeah, yeah. Well, they were they weren't very happy. Lord, no. Letters were exchanged. Yeah. Well, these things happen. Um, so, drawing to a close, uh, recently um, you and I were standing in a pub together um, which we hadn't done for a long time, Blair. Yeah. And um, I suggested to you that you became a Geomob sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, and sure enough, you said, yeah, I'll do that. And a few weeks later, the deal was done and you're now a Geomob sponsor. So first thing is on the Geomob podcast to say thank you, Blair, mm-hmm. for, and Geolytics for being a Geomob sponsor. Um, and then the question... Why do you do that? Uh, so two reasons. Well, three reasons, I think. Two main ones. Um, first of all, it's, uh, it's just a small token of thanks for the, uh, for the enjoyable moments and the people I've met at Geomob. So it doesn't feel like uh, too big an ask to, to put a little bit of money back into that. It's similar to the open data thing, you know, it's it's giving a little piece back. And, and the other one is, and I touched on it, is that um, my business is the people, and uh, the the more brilliant people who might potentially become colleagues know about us, the better. So, you know, we as we go through twenty twenty two, and you know, I was we're just doing our strat plan at the moment. You know, we're, we're hoping to recruit, you know, 15, 15, 20 people and to, to keep brilliant people wanting to come and work with us. It, Geomob kind of felt like a, a, a group where there's lots of brilliant people. That's perfect. So recruitment alert, everybody listening to this podcast, 
Geonetics are hiring big time this year. They're a great company. They do open data. They use open source. They're fun. Get in touch with Blair and yeah. find out about the opportunities. Yeah. Um, if I was a younger man, I'd be signing up myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, Blair, um, that's a good point to ask you. How can people get in touch with you? Uh, so, uh, just either my email, blair.freeburn at geolytics.co.uk or message me on LinkedIn or message geolytics at, on Twitter. Um, and and um, yeah, info at geolytics.co.uk. There's, there's plenty of ways you can reach out. Okay. So I'll put all of that in the links at the bottom of the of the show notes that we publish mm -hmm. so that people can get in touch with you. Blair, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. We've got to get together in a pub in real life. It's going Definitely. to happen in the next few weeks. Um, it's going to be great to see you again, to chat, talk geo, talk location. Um, thanks very much for being on the podcast. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any um, suggestions for topics that we should uh, cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. Um, you can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. Um, you can follow Stephen at Stephen Feldman. You can follow me at Freifogel. Um, you can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMob event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.